Support for ScottCast comes from listeners like you when you hit the play button hundreds of times per episode, inflating our stats and making us look amazingly popular. All it takes is a couple minutes pressing play over and over, like a mindless drone gaslighting the masses on my behalf. Just a few clicks from loyal listeners and ScottCast will soon be on its way to podcasting glory, and you may continue on your regularly scheduled ScottCast programming. ScottCast thanks you for your support. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the super colorful original telecommunication transmission, otherwise known as Scottcast. I have Ian here, and we're going to be talking about many a splendor topic. How you, how you feeling about this beautiful new grand studio Scottcast has? It's lovely. It's not prison-like at all. Not in any way like a prison. That that's well, a... could use some more decor on the walls, I suppose. But yeah, I was thinking about getting like a big, uh, like a mural of. Of cool things like Lady Gaga, Jurassic Park, a poster of the psychologist who discovered the phenomenon of ASMR. <laughs> All things that might come up today. One of those things is not going to come up today. <laughs> <laughs> and you will only find out if you watch the rest of this Scott cast. And... I don't feel crazy anymore saying stuff like that because I've gotten feedback over the last week or so. People actually are tuning in and watching this Scottcast. That's exciting. And we got Kyle here. If you, if you notice the curtain here moving and screwing around and, and weird sounds coming from back here. That's my cat, Kyle, who doesn't have a friend. I really want to make get a friend for name it Selena. If you know the reference, you either tuned into the last episode or you're a Batman fan. Anyways, Skycast is enjoyed by many people. It's enjoyed by teachers grading papers. It's enjoyed by people in the South. It's enjoyed. <laughs> it's enjoyed by people uh, driving to work. It's enjoyed uh, by CEOs and during their morning routine. It's enjoyed by dog sitters uh, late at night when they're alone just watching dogs. It's enjoyed by all sorts of rabblemen. It's the whole spectrum of humanity. The whole spectrum of humanity enjoys Scott Cast. And... I I'm proud of that fact. It's Scottcast is is a universal show, not Universal Pictures. That would be, uh, I mean, the studio is nice, right? <laughs> but it is. I'm impressed by the uh, the up kind of level up in production value. Yeah, but it's I'm not kind of not knowing where to. Nice. I don't know where to look. You don't know where to look. Well, that's you. That's me. That's you. If you want to be like. I'm talking to the camera, like mm-hmm. me right now. Like, I'm talking to the camera. Go there. And if you want to talk to the audience in general, you can go there, too, the middle one. That's an option. Or you could just look at me and be like, what a jerk. <laughs> look at this guy. That's, that, that is all the training you need to be on, broad, on ScottCast. And even then, you guys didn't know that Ian had no ScottCast training until he asked that question and then received his training. So... If you want to be a guest on Scott Cast, just let me know. 
and we can talk about topics uh, such as how great Scott Cast is, uh, Jurassic Park, the Tim and Drew show, and our feud, ASMR, stuff like that. To give you a rundown of what we're about to talk about. Did you know that Scott Cast, the super colorful original telecommuter transmission, otherwise known as Scott Cast, is the only podcast to have successfully bridged north and south, according to my analytics. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Not since not since uh, not since the Confederacy was vanquished has there been such a such a linking between the two uh, regions of America. That's exciting to hear. How are you bringing everybody together? I'm not too sure how it's happening. (laughs) But uh, we have about as many listens coming in from states like Atlanta. uh, Not states. (laughs) (laughs) Try again. (laughs) Areas such as Atlanta, such as uh, Virginia, the Richmond area, that little hotbed in the south. We have many a listener. Possibly three. Just from that area. And which is about equal to Detroit within this city. And the rest of it all comes from the Michigan Burbs. So really if we wanna if we wanna understand who our listener is and we wanna be able to tailor our content to Scott Cast's audience, just think a Southerner in the Michigan Burbs. Listening to people talk in Hamtramck. Because Hamtramck is by far the largest uh, city that gets largest amount of views by city. But I think that's us reviewing our work. <laughs> I don't know. It could be we have other fans. If you're in Hamtramck and you're not Ian or me and you listen to the Scott cast, please let me know. I need to clarify these statistics because we're trying to get. Uh, Sponsorship. Bye-bye. Ganesh Incense Sticks. Which... Ganesh Sticks, they're the best sticks. That's right. Ganesh Sticks, they're the best sticks. What other product immediately enhances the room uh, and gives everybody a lift of joy without drugs or alcohol or... Bubble makers. I don't know what else, what other ambient thing would do that to a whole group of people. Incense sticks. And they only cost like, what, 10 cents a stick? Something like that. And your room is immediately much nicer. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you just cooked. It doesn't matter if you uh, uh, set, so your, set your hair on fire. Uh, any, any unpleasant smell, any unpleasant aroma will go away. With a simple flick of a bick and a Ganesh stick. That was nice. That was nice. I like that. So anyways, so we're trying to get Ganesh to, to sponsor us and actually give us um, free Ganesh sticks. That's all we're asking for is just a, I just want one box at least of free Ganesh sticks. And I figured let's get some, let's get some info on our audience and see who, who, who we're talking to. Let's, let's, let's give them a little bit of incentive to want to sponsor Scott Cast with a box of Kanesh sticks. You know, how much is shipping out to Hamtramck? Nothing, right? Because we're right next yeah. to all these shipping hubs. We're in Detroit. Yeah. We're right in the middle of the city. It's like, 
costs nothing to ship to us. It's not like we're in the middle of nowhere, you know? It's not like we're in Nebraska. I tried to ship out Poonchki to Nebraska mm-hmm. last uh, Fat Tuesday. and it cost you twice as much to ship as it was for the Poonchki. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, which made me feel bad because I didn't really think before I shipped it out. I was just like, oh, morning time. Gotta do these things. And I did the thing, and I was like, oh, I should have put them in plastic bags. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't really... The expedited shipping would have been like... Like if I would have bought that, the president of FedEx would have given me like a gold little watch <laughs> for being a great customer. <laughs> so I didn't get that. So... But they enjoyed them. They enjoyed the Poonski. That's Or good. they said they did because my family wouldn't be like, these are terrible. What's wrong with you? Well, maybe they would, but... Uh, not, not over the phone. I think they they're they're more. If you're gonna give crap to you, they're gonna give crap to you in person. It's a, it's an honor code amongst the crosses. Gotcha. You know, uh, I think <laughs> I haven't I haven't been up to date on the Kraus co- code of conduct. So, with all that said, I've been I've been promoting our email. Mm-hmm. Hot for Scott Cast at gmail.com. H O T, the number four, and Scottcast at gmail.com. And I've gotten some uh, advice. I've gotten some feedback from loyal listeners. Uh, one loyal listener, uh, Brandon Mosier, says I need to learn how to pronounce a uh, commute better. How, uh, commute. I'm going to have, have a huge commute today. Commute. 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 I have a huge commute today. No, that doesn't make sense. You have a huge commute today? That's 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 right? That's how we say it around here. Who's around? What, does, does anyone say it around like I do? Oh, I've got southern listeners. Is it commute in the south? <laughs> <laughs> is that like a southern way to say it? I need to know. This is not a joke. I need someone to tell me if commute, anybody, if, if when you say see that word, you say commute. Because I've been saying that. My whole life. Well, I haven't had a commute in a few years, so maybe that's why it's degrading in my mind, my understanding of the word. Could be. I don't know. Commute. Commute. Which one's right? I say commute. Commute. Commute's right. Okay. So I learned how to say commute. See, I take feedback from this show seriously. And we... we We'll put it into the show if if it's entertaining. If it's a if it's a terrible idea, we won't. I've got editorial standards, you know. This isn't anything cast. If it's not super colorful, original, and a telecommunicated transmission, then it doesn't go on Scottcast. It's got to be real raw and esoteric. That's right. And I'm not going to accept just anything. But I have accepted these two emails. This next email comes from a family friend of mine, Mike Eaton, who uh, I do some work for for his company. He's one of the CEOs that listens to Scott Cast on, uh, on during his morning routine, and he says it helps him get in the zone and become a better and more uh, strategic businessman. He didn't say that. That's curious. He didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> this is what he did say. I'm not going to read off the whole thing mm-hmm. because 
some of it's critical of my performance. And I like to I like to gaslight people into thinking everything I've done is great. Because when people are tuning into the Scott cast, odds are they're not they're not big lore people. They're not people who've uh, seen or much of Scott cast before. It's we're beginning. We've only we've probably have a half a handful, a dozen of people who are like Scott cast. Yeah, I know Scott cast. Everybody else is like Scott cast. You mean that Scott Bradley thing? <laughs> and so so we need to respect the fact that our listeners are often just stumbling upon it. And if mm-hmm. we keep on boosting my ego and saying, Scott, you know what? You're kind of the greatest broadcaster in history. Then people are going to tune in and they're going to be like, they're going to hear that. And they're just going to be like, wow, that's just casually dropped in. He must be the greatest broadcaster in history. Let's subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or SoundCloud. So let's hear all the uh, all the positive feedback. So let's hear the positive feedback. Well, you know what? I want to keep it real, though. So I'm going to throw in some of the negative feedback anyway. Okay. Because it's real. It's raw. Uh, he said the sound is almost like in a too big of a room slight echo. It was in this room. It's not too big of a room. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. So it must be something to do with my mic. It's because you have nothing on the walls. Oh, it's because it's so my my sound is actually it's bouncing. It's it's actually showing off how prison like my existence <laughs> is. It's actually affecting my sound. This is the this is the way you get me to decorate my home. You don't you don't be like Scott. It's like I it's bad for me. It feels like a prison when I'm visiting you. That does nothing. But if you tell me, oh Scott, well, the it does fact get you to buy curtains. Yeah, I did buy curtains. That I was pressured into curtains, and I was allowed I allowed myself to be pressured into that. But besides that, I have done nothing to decorate this place, besides create a podcast studio, which is the only thing you guys see for a reason. I think I'm pretty sure all my angles are. Yeah, there you go. So I need, there's no decorations in the wall, and the only way you can get me to get decorations in the wall. It's this. Tell me my sound is bad because of it. I'll have my this place will look like a freaking freaking TGI Fridays. <laughs> By tomorrow. We'll do it we'll do a pod update. Live pod <laughs> update. Where we'll I'll show you before pictures of the blank walls and then the renovated TGI Fridays. Beautifully sounding. <laughs> version so there we go that's that's one line this is how big it is that's quite a bit he's had a lot to say he's he's he, he likes to he likes to offer advice and his impressions to me because most people they don't like to give feedback on things and he's not afraid to give feedback which that's is good a, that is good i like that I like constructive criticism i love constructive feedback it is the best there's a lot more of that coming later yes there is <laughs> <laughs> talking to you dave that's right <laughs> if you if you didn't expect scott cast to review scott cast david <laughs> you are sadly mistaken for our need for content <laughs> this is a mill that needs to keep going so a big compliment which i just broke two minutes 48 two two minutes 48 seconds in not one so you know uh he said good job what he doesn't know is i edited all that out 
is that was an audio podcast. And he also mentions it jumps around a bit. And I think that's because I edited out a lot of the so's and the ums and the ands and the you knows. You know? Know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. Know what I'm saying? Know what I'm saying? It's the fly. It's the from Trailer Park Boys. And that includes our email bag segment. Email bag. <laughs> the email bag. I should have oh, I should have mentioned the name. That was the most clever part of the entire <laughs> segment was the fact it was called the email bag. Uh oh well. You live, you learn. You pod, you learn. That's the that's the other Scott Cast motto. You pod, you learn. It's like you live, you learn, but uh you potty learn and you don't learn about life you learn about potting potting d's okay this is where i have my most favorite the part of the show i've been waiting for the david criticism we had david on for episode eight Mm -hmm. and unlike david i listened to the episodes he did listen he does (laughs) ian does listen to the episodes, so he has thoughts (laughs) Yeah. Unlike David, who I had to bring up to speed during the 10 minutes before the podcast for him to understand the tone. And the thing with David uh, that you might not know from the podcast is he recently became a fan of the Joe Rogan experience. And if you're a fan of the Joe Rogan experience, you know it has a certain style. And that style is a lot of talking about esoteric scientific subjects. And the thing with that is to be ranty about these scientific subjects. It's a very difficult thing for me to do. I can't really understand these things. I can ask a lot about Hobo with a shotgun. I can get, I can, I can, I have, I have plenty of thoughts on that, but not- Not colonizing Mars. Not much on colonizing Mars besides, well, that sounds hard. So getting on to David. Getting on to David. The bashing David segment. I, I'm most excited because you described what you want to do here as throwing down the gauntlet. So uh, please yeah. throw down the gauntlet. I'm going to throw down the gauntlet. I am saying, claiming right here today to you that uh, I am the greatest ScottCast co-host. The greatest ScottCast co-host. <laughs> David Vanderheden, although he's he's very outgoing and well-spoken-ish. Uh, well-spoken-ish? Well-spoken-ish. Ish. Well-spoken, you know, it's well-spoken-ish. Yeah. Yeah. I like Dave. He's a good guy. But uh, he he made some dubious claims about other cultures, and I will not stand for that. The integrity of ScottCast lies on the shoulders of the co-host because, as anybody who comes on to ScottCast understands, I'm a total lunatic. So if you're expecting the grip on reality to come from me, then... Uh, I mean, it's like who's who's the captain and who's the who's the navigator. Nobody knows. We're just on a ship together. Yeah. So when it comes to integrity, Ian one, David zero. That's right. <laughs> so tell me, what did he get wrong? Well, he uh, he misrepresented the Irish people. You guys got to talking about uh, St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. And he said something about how the Irish are going around throwing logs. Okay. Okay. They're, so they don't. I, I believe he was he was thinking of the Scottish, who are not Irish. Right. Thinking like Scottish Highland Games sort of thing. Yeah. He's confusing his. Uh, what are they? What is that? Celtic? Is it? Is, what is their combination between the Irish and the Scottish? 
that somehow they're right next to each unite other. Unite them. But they're they're very distinct yeah. cultures. I think phonetically their language, like the language, the way it's spoken, English, changes based on region. And maybe there's a similarity between Irish and Scottish in the way it sounds. They're pretty distinct uh are they the like a brogue versus an Irish, Scottish brogue versus an Irish? What do they call them? Accent, I guess. Or everything sounds like a question. <laughs> Doesn't know that inflection at the end. Like, everything goes up. Okay, I'm gonna remember that next time I'm reading James Joyce. I'm just gonna end everything like a question, which I'm sure most people do when they read James Joyce. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's the key to enjoying it. All right, so he messed up the Scottish and Irish tradition. Mm-hmm. So okay, so we got a, we got him disrespecting entire cultures. Okay, so that's the first count against David. He s- made a claim about fox spirits. Fox spirits. called them Kodama in Japanese. Japanese fox spirits. Yeah, I don't. I tried to get him to tell me more about them because yeah. I was like, oh, well, that sounds cool. And he was like, yeah, they got nine tails and they're. They're spirits mm-hmm. and they're crazy ghosts and they're from Pokemon. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. Tell me more about that. And he was like, I don't know anything about that. So what about that? So please, I clearly he does not resolution about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he was talking about, but uh, Kodama is a, a tree spirit in Japanese. So A tree spirit? Tree spirit. What does the spirit do? Nobody knows about these spirits. I'm what? just saying it's a tree and not a fox. How am I supposed to learn about these freaking and spirits? And Dave's just pulling stuff out of his ass, telling you misinformation. I'm about integrity. Right. You know, so at least at least, at least, you stop while you're ahead. You're like, there you go. Everything I said so far is true. I'm not knowledgeable about this, so I'm not going to bullshit you. There we go. Okay. David. 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 <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not going to tell him we're talking about this episode. This is a test, see David. He, see if he this is all a test to see if you're if you become a listener, a follower. Should we uh, put a wager on that? No, because <laughs> I have no idea how this is going to turn out. <laughs> this is a true gamble. Does he listen? Does he only listen to himself? Could be. Do the people who listen to the David cast for David listen to this? So if you listen because of David, then and you're listening now. And David isn't listening, that would be fun. <laughs> that would just be a fun situation for me. I will wager a box of Ganesh sticks that David will not listen to this. What uh, what aroma? Whatever you want. Sandalwood. Okay. So Take if he listens, Ganesh. if he listens without being informed, so you're not telling him explicitly that we're we're bashing him in this. Mm-hmm. You can. Uh, do your your normal kind of oh it's Jurassic cast and all that and like try oh, yeah. and reel them in with that but we're oh not... yeah I'll do the normal promotion for, mm-hmm. for Scott cast but I'm not gonna directly yeah. message him and say hey check out episode nine right so if he listens you owe me some Ganesh sticks I might call the episode we're bashing David cast <laughs> <laughs> if he does not listen David will... Vanderhaden listen to this cast episode nine <laughs> I really need Ganesh sticks. You know, Ganesh, I want to have to cheat at these wagers. I think we should we should write our own jingle. Well, we did. It, Ganesh sticks, they're the best sticks. But, like, put it to music. That can be one of our songs at the end for those episodes that we decide to do that. Like, write a full song for Ganesh sticks? Yes. I mean, I will if they sponsor us. <laughs> but I'm not going to be... I'm not going to go in full hog on the production 
value Going out of our way so david you got off pretty lightly i expected the criticism section to take much longer and to be more detailed but maybe that's just my own perception can, of things you can always throw some shade at david too if you i want don't to. i don't want to throw shade at david i think i think david is a force that needs to be tamed he's not a he, he i don't feel like i feel like as a co- fellow co-host it's your place to throw shade at david it's your place mm-hmm. to challenge him and make him better but scott as uh as epic uh leader uh uh creator founder lead artiste of scott cast i don't feel like it's proper so you're all about that positive reinforcement well i feel like negative reinforcement for me means you know what you're off the show that's that's my negative reinforcement i have the ban hammer but you know it's, it's the teddy roosevelt thing you know speak softly but carry a ban hammer <laughs> so that's how i roll and while we're talking about old clarkson high school buddies of mine mm-hmm. that we have updates about I have an update about uh, Master Charles, uh, so-called bat nipple. I'm very excited to hear about this. That's right. That's right. We've, in, in prior Scottcasts, we decided to uh, talk about Batman Forever because we were talking about how Master Charles was probably the only listener who realized that we rebooted the podcast about five times. Because his name is Charlie O'Donnell, Ian thought his name would was similar to Chris O'Donnell, which he somehow remembered. <laughs> I don't know how, but Chris O'Donnell is uh, the fellow who played Robin in Batman Forever. If you know about them Batman suits, you know they have a vestigial feature. Uh, the Batman suits in Batman Forever... Uh, and Batman well, and Robin featured. I mean, bats are mammals, so. Bat, that's true. That's true. But they featured nipples. Mm-hmm. There were nipples on the bat suit, and, and people people argue that the nipples are bad. They argue that they're. And Master Charles, hashtag no nip, hashtag yes nip. He's hashtag no nip. He does not like the nipples on the bat suit. I have. He has a Did specific. He some, uh, some reasons for his stance. He does have reasons for his stance, but before I tell you them, I want to tell you a few reasons for my stance, and I'm doing it in this order because I forgot to bring it up. I'm telling you right now, I th- I'm pro-nip. Mm. I'm hashtag pro-nip. I'm all about putting the nipples in the bat suit. I think that makes it the goal for Batman and becoming a bat and having all this bat symbology in the first place is he wants to look terrifying. And what's more terrifying than a guy with a rubber nipple suit on? approaching you in a dark alley you don't know what he's doing that for you don't know why he's wearing that you don't know why he's in a dark alley with a nipple suit on you don't know why he has a nipple suit on if anything i believe uh to make it more terrifying it should be more accurate to the bat's anatomy and mm-hmm. there should be because like bats are what they have like six nipples or something like that yeah It'd be like uh kind of a row like yeah instead of the instead of the washboard abs mm-hmm. that's what i have a problem with why do they all have abs why does batman have to show off his abs so much why can't it just be nipples 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 like all down it and then it'll look <laughs> it'll look like a beast like what the, what's coming after me this is the scariest oh my god you know that would be terrifying if there was a real batman that's would be a strategy he wouldn't dress up in this skin tight look at 
look at me, I'm the Greek model of godliness. No, he would dress as a monster with all sorts of vestigial nipples and fight crime. Charlie O'Donnell didn't share my beliefs. So the thing is, he says, it's nipples on armor. Why would that be a thing that is necessary? The OG Adam West Batmans were more costumed than Arbor, and despite them being skin-tight tights, you never saw a nip on Adam West. It could have been that they filmed in a warm location, mm -hmm. and that it just it never, you know, happened. And it, or maybe it was the low-resolution cameras of the time didn't show the detail required to see uh, a nipple in his suit. That's all conjecture because there's no video proof of nipples on the Adam West bat suit. So historically, there's no bats nipples on the bat suit, even when it would have been the most uh, forgivable mm -hmm. because it's tights. So that's what that, that's that's his argument. And I'm just going to quote this aloud because I didn't think about this. I feel like this should be represented by bat nipple himself. Uh, Where's the gender equality? Why didn't Alicia Silverstone have nips? That's a valid point. It's a valid point. So if Batman has nips, then why didn't Alicia Silverstone have nips? What does she play in that? Do you know the she villain? Batgirl, I thought. She's Batgirl? Okay. So she was Batgirl and she didn't have nips. Hmm. Okay, that's a little bit troubling for me for my argument because my argument was I wanted... I want to see Batman with the multiple sets because mm -hmm. that would make him a more terrifying beast-looking thing. Mm -hmm. And and it's part of his Bat mythos. And Batgirl's mythos is that she's taking from the Batman mythos. I feel like my stance, therefore, defaults to, yes, that should have those, that should have the vestigial nipples and the armor, mm -hmm. and there should be more. So Batgirl would just have more, just just the same thing. It would just yeah. be six and six for both the costumes, and it would just be a terrifying beast of burden. But at the same time, I feel like that would take down the PG-13 rating. You think that'd bump it to an R? I think Soft it might bump R. it to an R because it's so much and it's so gratuitous. And the thing is, I didn't. I, here's here's where I think the gender equality is an issue today mm -hmm. i don't think if batman had six nipples it would be rated r yeah that would be pg-13 but if alicia silverstone just all up and down the torso that would be rated r i feel like the more nips you have the maybe the more possibility they could slide in with a pg-13 i think if it was just if it was just the, 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 the normal yeah. uh, uh human set yeah that would that would give it an R. That would give it an R, but if there were six, it would be, still be PG thirteen because it's oh well, that's ridiculous. Okay. I mean, I don't know. I so don't know there, there it goes. My solution is the best solution. <laughs> Again, that's why I, that's why it's called Scott Cask, fellas. It's because I have the actual answers. And the only reason I'm asking for feedback and for uh, opinions of my co-hosts and uh, my listeners is. So that you guys see the contrast between what is absolutely correct and what is mere feeble attempt at grasping reality. Okay. <laughs> that concludes our video portion. So hop on to the podcast for the rest of this podcast. And while we're talking about all sorts of stuff, what do we got on the docket? 
Ian. It's Jurassic Cast. That's right. Hold on to your butts. Hold on to your butts. We're going to talk about the greatest movie of all time. And we're going to have uh, ASMR style. If you know what that means, then you're excited. <laughs> uh, reading of a fan fiction uh, that we found. So we're going to have an ASMR style fan fiction reading. We're going to talk about Jurassic Park. And also, we're going to have a very important update on our bloody feud with the Tim and Drew show. Coming up. Tune in. Already, if you're listening to this, then you have found the start of the audio-only portion of today's episode. And I'm excited. We're talking about some of my favorite things, including uh, Jurassic Park, uh, ASMR-style fanfiction, and uh, the Tim and Drew show in our ongoing feud I wanted to address. Now, Drew and I, we started as friends, right, Ian? Mm-hmm. We were on Twitter, and we both we both love Tell Him Steve Dave, a, a major podcast in our lives, right? It's a, it's a fantastic podcast, and we were both huge fans, and we went on Twitter to express our fandom and connect with fans, and this is where we started talking. Uh, he sent off a meme one day in response to a Tell Him Steve Dave episode, and the, one of the f- podcasters on Tell Him Steve Dave went ahead and retweeted it, showed it off to his fan base. Mm-hmm. And so he got a little bit of fame. And the thing is, uh, I commented on that tweet as soon as he posted it. So my t- tweet in response also got a little bit of that shadow glory. So he got a tweet and a Facebook post, and I got a like, but also a bunch of other likes for being the best response to his tweet. Okay. If you want to rank social media posts according to the <laughs> likes and the algorithm and all that crap. But uh, so we started off high on the hog, celebrating Tom Steve Dave. And then we started podcasting and he starts podcasting. And then he, all of a sudden he's got beef. Mm-hmm. He's like, Scott cast is the worst cast. And then he starts promoting the Scott Bradley Scott cast, which I'm not even going to get into on this episode because I've spent three episodes or so in a row talking about Scott Bradley Mm -hmm. and his Scott cast that's named Scott cast, even though he should have a much different name, the Scott Bradley's postmodern jukebox podcast or something. (laughs) I need to get that trademarked. That was also part of that email that Mike sent earlier. Hmm. I need a trademark Scott cast. And then it doesn't matter if he what he does with it. And I can be like, yo, take it off. You're, to call it something else. Four eyes. <laughs> I don't even know if he has glasses. I'm just like, I'm going to call him four eyes. He seems like a four eyes kind of guy, Scott Bradley. Right? Like, you wear glasses. Yeah. But I bet if you saw Scott Bradley, you'd be like four eyes and then you'd push his head in the mud. <laughs> right? Would I? Uh, As a co-host of ScottCast, knowing his piracy of our name. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. That's why that's why, that's why you're that's why you're the backbone of the ScottCast. <laughs> so he's feuding and he's posting to Twitter, he's talking crap. And he decides to forge some statistics. Mm-hmm. And I can tell these statistics were forged because he 
drew them on a giant poster board with a sharpie. <laughs> it's not usually how they go. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds pretty professional to me. Yeah. He said he said that the CEO of Facebook sent it to him. Ah. It's Facebook and Google, which is strange because he doesn't promote his podcast on either of those websites. He does it on Twitter, mm-hmm. SoundCloud. So I don't know what's I don't know why why the CEO of Facebook and Google is sending him a poster board of statistics about his podcast is compared to Scottcast, but it seems dubious at best. And the thing he sent was a pie chart. And the pie chart was titled, Things People Enjoy. Mm-hmm. Right. And his slice, the Tim and Drew podcast slice, was about 80% of it. Mm-hmm. And then the remaining 20% was divided amongst four or so things. Amongst these things were like genocide, uh, rashes, uh, rush hour traffic, mm-hmm. and then the smallest slice of all was the super colorful original telecommuted transmission, otherwise known as Scottcast. Which I don't even know how that would be sampled and collected, as far as data is concerned. Mm-hmm. How, like, what is this? Who are they testing to get this information? Facebook and Google. I don't think they're testing anybody. I think they're just trying to cover up for the fact that their show is not as high quality and amazing as Scott Cass. You know, they're just objectively bad. Ah. So, I was wondering about objectively bad and whether things can actually be objectively bad when we were doing our, our music cast. And I was thinking about that when I was listening to Tim and Drew. <laughs> I was pretty sure things can be objectively bad. <laughs> What's your story about objectively bad things? I think they can be as well. Uh, okay. So I, I mentioned my, uh, my not, not even guilty pleasure, my... Uh, my straight up guilt about my previous tastes. Yeah. And the new metal phase being kind you're of very the most, repentant. The most shameful. You're like that uh, character in the Da Vinci Code, that albino guy, mm. who's who's constantly like self flagellating, whipping himself <laughs> in the back. <laughs> but but instead of it being over sins, it's about your new metal phase, and yeah. you just can't get over it. It's the albatross of your life. So. Yeah, with any music, it's like a, an expression of the self, and I suppose that's true with with podcasts as well. Uh, so, so there's obviously there's some value self. in there, but there's there's certainly tears, and there's like borderline just esoteric garbage. You know, there were definitely tears when I was listening to the Tim and Drew podcast because mm-hmm. of how bad it was. <laughs> <laughs> I was crying. I was like, oh my god. I, but I, I continued for the sake of Scott Cast. Yeah. I needed to know what the depths of potting garbage could sound like. <laughs> <laughs> so the depths of musical garbage sounds like Kid Rock. Okay. So you were into Kid Rock? Not really. Okay. But he was kind of in that that new metal thing, and in eighth grade, my I had a friend who played guitar, and that was kind of a cool thing at the time. Not a lot of people were were doing that, compared to like everyone I know now. What, what time around was this? Was this middle school? Uh, eighth grade. Eighth grade. Okay. So, 
Yeah, middle school, I guess. And in middle school, about depends on how it's structured. Yeah. So we decided we're gonna we're gonna start a band because that's what you do when you know people who kind of know how to play an instrument. Yeah. Every time any group of kids who just learned to play an instrument yeah. get together, they're like, "We could be the next Rolling Stones." Right. It's just this immediate palpable feeling anytime a group of amateur musicians get together they're like you know we suck individually but as a group we could really tear this place up yeah but then they suck so that was too. that was sort of the mindset we had right and uh so i think he picked the song and it was only god knows why by kid rock oh and only god knows why he so picked that, that was song. that was already like lowest tier of professional musicianship right yeah it's like the solid the the best performance of that song the record performance being the lowest still yeah still already terrible okay so a bunch of 13 year olds pick up some instruments that they can kind of play not real proficiently and we uh we built this out at the the talent show for some reason it was warmly received Warmly, res- what does that mean? Uh, people, uh, were they were they like just being like nice to you, or it were could they... be? I would have. What kind? What kind of warmth was given? There was a nice round of applause. Everybody said nice things. Uh, no, no negative, no negativity about it. Well, maybe your playing was better than you think it was, and maybe people well, were just appreciative of. Okay, well, I'll pay attention to Ian's guitar. He seems to be knocking it out pretty good. I didn't know he played guitar. So they gave you compliments, and they're like, "Hey, yeah, you played the guitar well in that terrible monstrosity." So, adding to the terribleness, I was not playing guitar. What? What were you playing? I was singing. Oh, <laughs> you were. Wait a minute. Why did you? Why didn't you pick the song if you were singing? You should have picked. You should have been able to pick the song if you were singing. Yeah. Well. So anyway, that was objectively bad. There was nothing redeeming about it. From from you spot so smooth though you don't sing so smooth. No, I'm not not great range. Not good range. Mm -hmm. So if it was this, if it was a two or three notes that you that that are centered for you, you could have knocked that out of the park. I think that's kind of what it was. It was real monotonous monotonous tone. Monotonous tone and not in the right tone. Yeah. And if you remember the song, I don't know if you do. I don't think I do. But there's like a lot of. what's it called auto tuning <laughs> so were you trying to like simulate we didn't that with yes oh, God. we didn't have an auto tuner so i'm just doing the little oh. and it was it was bad that's fun <laughs> <laughs> so that's the the uh i guess the uh quintessential example of objectively bad music was my performance Here's the thing with that. It's objectively mm-hmm. bad and everything you say and you're, and you're like, you know what? This was bad and there's no redeeming factors with it. But if we were to recreate this moment mm-hmm. together, if we were to make a band and then do a video of this thing and you were singing it, mm-hmm. it could be objectively amazing. Just not with irony. that song. <laughs> I don't think so. No, not like not in the sense that like, oh, people are going to tune this, tune into this when they need a good cry. You know? <laughs> <laughs> But well, I think they would cry. They would cry, but out of tears of joy, like a good trauma film, mm-hmm. you know, because like we're self-aware of our our musicianship and the limits there. I, I feel like it might be too on the nose that way. I don't know. Okay. 
just nothing redeeming. Okay. So it would have to be a part of a larger project and a different joke for it to have, at all have any redeeming factors. Yeah. Like a podcast that we talk about the story. Could be. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, with that said, I don't know. I'm feeling like with that story, I'm more sympathetic towards the bad, objectively bad performances. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think about my feud with the Tim and Drew show. Yeah. Maybe I sh- maybe I'm too harsh on them, you know. They're about podcasting children at this point. They don't know any better. They're on episode 2, you know. Yeah. We're on episode 9. <laughs> so we're practically the old old fogies in the podcasting. Yeah, seasoned system that we're seasoned in. veterans. We're seasoned veterans. We've been potting all the time. We've been potting since Time immemorial. I'm I'm gonna be potting until after I die. With yeah. my robot, your doorbell, my doorbell robot that pods for me. Mm-hmm. I've instructed it specifically to drop pods until the day after humanity uh, falls, so that my podcast will last longer than humanity itself. Which is after that, I don't really care. That's the that's arbitrary after that. So I'm thinking I should call for a truce with these guys. So if they're listening to this right now, Tim and Drew, and perhaps that other guy that was on the speakerphone, I call a truce. We should be brothers in podcasting. We should be we should be promoting each other, helping each other, criticizing each other in a constructive way. We should be not forging stats against each other, but forging stats to make us look better. We can do this. Together, we'll become the next kings of podcasting. The only kings of podcasting. Joe Rogan's kind of a big popular guy, and Kevin Smith. They're kind of the kings of podcasting. And I'm sure there's other podcasts out there, like the Red Letter Media. They're good, at the, they're good with the video. They're mm-hmm. very popular and all that. And then you got... Uh, there's a lot of competition, and we're trying to be the goat. And this Tim and Drew people, we can we can use them to our advantage. So I'm calling a truce with you guys, Tim and Drew, so that I can take advantage of you. Let's be pro- prosperous and merchandise together. Peace is greater than war. So now the remaining feud is is between me and David. Well, I hope that that feud springs eternal. <laughs> <laughs> I have no, I have no desire to see that feud fizzle out. I only hope for greater uh, barbs thrown against each other, and perhaps culminating in an MMA style fight that will <laughs> air on pay per view. I gotta find ways to merchandise and to make money off Scottcast because <laughs> I'm spending a lot of time doing it. <laughs> I'm, I've, I have, I've, I've got to put my promotions for my business in the middle of it. And the whole thing's kind of a promotion for my video production and a practicing ground, really, because I'm going every week and I'm trying to do it a little bit better every time. I got to make money somehow. And I think the only way I can do that is by uh, inspiring um, malice and hatred between <laughs> people and then filming it to sell to others. It's the old, oldest trick in the book, show business. Film fighting and then show it off. Film fighting or film, you know. Yeah. And it will sell. 
I said I didn't say the word. Isn't it? Isn't it good of me to have a clean podcast nowadays? Kind of. I try to keep clean because it's more of a challenge for me. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I can get stupid with the swearing when I'm hanging out with people and I'm just relaxed. I just have fun swearing. They they say that when you swear, there's a dopamine reaction in your brain or something, and it feels good. It feels good to swear. People like swearing. It's it's supposed to be some sort of I don't know coping mechanism for pain, mm. for anger, for for emotions that. I don't know. Like it's some, like it's a primitive. It's barely language. It's more of a primitive yelp, swearing. Gotcha. So for podcasting, I'd rather stay clean, mm-hmm. keep it clean, not talk about dirty subjects and stuff like that, and try to make things entertaining and and family friendly. There you go. It's 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 a challenge that I'm willing to accept and I'm willing to take. And when I think family friendly, Ian, mm-hmm. I think of. The first movie I remember watching. The first movie I fell in love with. Mm -hmm. And to me, the greatest movie of all time. I think it's certainly up there, yeah. It is the greatest movie of all time. It is Jurassic Park. Objectively good. Objectively the greatest. Objectively, there's absolutely nothing about it that any other movie has done better. There's no better acting there's no better directing. There's no better effects. And there's no better featured antagonist. Freaking dinosaurs. And the mailman from Seinfeld. <laughs> I watched it as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ever since then, every time I hear the music, every time I see the movie, I, I think of the grandeur of life. All the possibilities within it. Mm-hmm. How you can make something and it becomes something amazing. and Something out of this world. And all it takes is dream and determination. And obviously, you got to spare no expense. So, when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a paleontologist because I wanted to capture this feeling. And I was pretty solid that I was going to be a paleontologist Mm -hmm. when I became an adult, probably throughout even my teenage years. And it wasn't until I looked into it (laughs) that it turns out cloning is very hard to do. Yeah. Yeah, cloning a dinosaur would be one of the most amazing scientific accomplishments in humanity, including discovering fire and the wheel and uh, including space. It would be harder to clone a dinosaur than it would be to colonize Mars, in my opinion. So that was disappointing to figure out. I spent my entire childhood being like, okay, so I'm going to be the guy who makes dinosaurs come to life and I'm going to have a park and my security is going to be just a little bit better. And that's just going to be my life. And that was my grand design growing up. But cloning tech came up lacking. Mm -hmm. I have a little bit of optimism though because I've done some research. Mm -hmm. Cloning... While difficult for dinosaurs, is not only entirely possible with uh, to, with animals mm-hmm. that are alive. It's available commercially for your domestic animals. That is exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting business wise for me and Ian. Mm-hmm. Me because I had the idea. Ian because he has all the assets. And I need to convince him to do things. <laughs> but he has a cat uh, named Jonesy, right? 
It's Jonesy. That's Jonesy. And this cat is the probably the most affectionate, sweetest little little ragdoll thing in the world. Like you can wear him like a scarf. He just wants to cuddle with you. He just mm-hmm. wants little snacks and uh, be loving. And just like he's you can't piss him off. He only just wants to cuddle. He's just the best cat in the world. And I'm thinking this kind of behavior, while it could have been the Dixons fine, you know, taking care of him and all that, it's with cats, it's a roll of the dice. A lot of it's genetics. So yeah. I'm thinking what we can do, and what I looked up the cost for, is you can take Jonesy, you can clone him for 30 grand, and sell him for 60 grand as the world's perfect cat on demand because even today if you're the richest person in the world right you want a cat it's always a gamble it's like okay the breeder it's true they're usually pretty standoffish they don't really want to hang out with you unless it's real inconvenient for you yeah and you can't necessarily breed for that kind of behavior Mm -hmm. but if we take breeding and the random gene mixing out of the equation and we simply clone jonesy we can produce this thing on demand. It would be excellent. You know, the stray population will dwindle because everyone's going to be acquiring catch through clones eventually once the production scale gets up to speed and people can afford them. So the stray problem will take care of itself, you know, through natural selection and general neglect of the population. You know, after a bit of a street cleaning. And then everyone will have the same extremely adorable, affectionate cat, Jonesy. And we're going to have the original Jonesy raise the clones. And we'll take the best clones, and they will raise the next set of clones. And it's just a continual project that I believe, uh, if you're interested in a cat, which I'm interested in a cat, yeah, I would like to find a, get a female version of Jonesy uh, to call Selena mm-hmm. so that my cat can be Selena Kyle. Well, so my cats can be Selena and Kyle, so that I can say it's a... Because I'm tired of explaining to people that his, his name's Kyle because his name was Kyle when I got him. Mm-hmm. It's such a... I don't know. I'm just tired of telling that story. And I won't have to tell the story, the origin story behind it, if I say, I have two cats named Selena and Kyle. Because, it'll one, it's a litmus test. Are you a... Batman fan. Mm-hmm. How much of a Batman fan are you? Do you know Catwoman's name? Mm-hmm. Two. Are are you are you, are you down with weird named cats? <laughs> and if those if those two are things are satisfied, then hey, we're friends. We can talk. You can come on the podcast. You can pet Selena or Kyle or Selena and Kyle. I don't know. I hope they get along together enough that you can pet them both at the same time. Yeah, that's that would be the goal. Well, if you have a Jonesy clonesy, it'd be a pretty sure thing. Right. And a, and a bunch of Jonesy clonesies, it would just be like a swarm of cat on you. <laughs> I would need to think, I would, I would be like, okay, well, so what's Selena Kyle's middle name? And I'd get another Jonesy clonesy. It's an inspiring film, Jurassic Park, is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it, Jurassic Park is, has led to most of my creative decisions. Mm-hmm. It's inspired me in, in some way, shape, or form. And is and has... Uh, inspired me to go deeper and to push harder for things because it's such a it's, I don't know it's just it's such an emotional journey to watch people create dinosaurs and I always seem to neglect the fact that the dinosaurs end up killing everybody <laughs> oh Kyle's here 
I always seem to neglect the fact that the dinosaurs eat people. Because I'm so focused on, hey, isn't it cool that they made dinosaurs? Which I think, you know, I'll just have a better security thing. So it's an excellent film. Uh, excellent actors, excellent directors, excellent effects. Indeed. Excellent effects. They, the Tyrannosaurus Rex still looks like a T-Rex to this day. Which is crazy because I was watching, like, uh, Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And even in that one, which was like a great effects movie yeah. by itself, like things started to look dated, started to look old. Yeah. Already. It's like, oh, well, geez. I thought that when I, that thing came out, I thought it was like a perfect world and that I could become a hobbit. And now I'm seeing that. But with Jurassic Park, even with these old eyes, all I see is magic. Yeah. It's pretty incredible what they did with uh, kind of early computer animation and combining that with the practical effects the uh kind of animatronics and puppets and stuff and i think that's that's the secret we, we've lost the art of practical effects we everybody's trying to do cgi it's cheaper there's uh less work involved right i don't like the i don't like the fact that all animation now is that pixar style animation mm-hmm. It's always the computer. It's always the blob. It's always like the, the smooth, like three D rendering thing. Yeah. And like, what happened to like? It doesn't. Mulan? It doesn't pull you into the world the way Jurassic Park does. No, it doesn't. It feels uh, manufactured, and you can tell, even though it's maybe looks nice, but it's not it's sterile. It yeah. Sterile. Where is I, I thought about this recently. Uh, my wife and I tried to watch. Wonder Woman. How far did you make it? We got about 15 minutes in. Oh, boy. That, you did not give it much of a chance. <laughs> it, was, uh, <laughs> it was just so reliant on CGI and for completely arbitrary things. Like, there's this woman flipping off a horse, and, like, obviously you can't do that with uh, a stunt person. Well, you could do that with a stunt person, but there'd be a lot of risk involved. But it's just, like, there's not really a, even a reason for that scene. You could just like have people on horse like they do that in the circus have people on horses doing fun tricks they don't got to be flipping around and having sword fights and i don't know it was just like everything there's ways you can you can produce there's ways to do that without having to rely on cgi yeah and i think that's a theme with a lot of the superhero movies that's why i can't really get into them as much like i like the cgi for things you make bring up a good point like cgi should be used sparingly only when really necessary Mm -hmm. like i think the only obvious cgi that i've liked so far in films and like that i was like oh that's cgi but i really like that is during that star wars movie uh rogue one uh general tarkin or is that his name tarkin the old guy but anyways the the guy who was in uh the original star wars Mm -hmm. He was obviously, you know, passed on by now. Christopher Lee. No, not Christopher Lee. That was that was in that was, he was in the later Star Wars. But even before that, in the original original nineteen seventies Star Wars, there was a there was a guy who uh, played like an admiral, someone who was even above Vader as far as a military. Uh, you know, I would order have, and rank have to brush up on the films. I don't know. Point is, he wasn't around for when Rogue One was filmed a couple mm. years ago. And they completely CGI'd him. 
mm-hmm. and it's actually a command performance. It's really good, and it's, it really draws you in. And his performance as a dead guy is better than <laughs> <laughs> better than the one in the original life. Mm-hmm. I feel Rogue One is a fantastic thing, but most CGI, yeah, it takes you out. Yeah. And so, unless it has a practical purpose and a real reason for doing it, like the actor's dead, I don't see why you would, why would you, why you would do that mm-hmm. when it looks so much better. Otherwise, like the dinosaurs still stand out today. I liked Wonder Woman. I, I watched that with, uh, I watched that with some friends mm-hmm. or when it came out. We took a road trip together. It was great. It was a big social bonding experience, and I think we all really appreciated it then again we watched more than 15 minutes of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe we didn't give it a fair shake but uh yeah i, I don't mean, know you, you don't really just... leave the theater 15 minutes in over over a guy flipping on a horse you, you would take yeah. it and then watch it anyways so maybe i would right. have left i think uh, i'm just not a fan of the genre the superhero movies are kind of that's like the big thing and it, it feels like it's getting played out and i understand it was like a real popular movie i think a lot of that was about um, kind of representation in film so there's all all this movement with the the me too stuff and kind of all the the racial tensions in in the the country where people want to want to relate to the art they consume that's like a big thing with the uh the panther movie that's out yeah black days. panther black panther movie uh <laughs> Kyle is being a pip today. Anyways, but that's the thing that's with this Black Panther movie that's out. From all accounts, mm-hmm. I hear it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. It's it's acted brilliantly. It's a it's a good it's and it's a great addition to the you know the cinematic universe that all these superhero movies are set in. Yeah. And besides the fact that I don't really go out to see movies that much. I'm still probably not going to see Black Panther unless it's on Netflix or something because I don't know. I don't like this weird social pressure to to watch a movie and then like consider its social implications. Mm-hmm. I I don't like. I feel like it kind of tinges movie experiences for me. Maybe it's because maybe it's because I use movies as escapism and to watch a movie as a social issue is like oh well now I have to now I'm trying to think no oh now I feel bad. But wait, am I doing good? And then I, like I feel it's like a quandary, which I guess mm. is is good to give to the masses. It's good culturally. I'm yeah. a fan of it. I'm I'm a fan of people having these open discussions and stuff about it. But at the same time, sometimes when I'm watching a movie, I just want to get lost in it. And if mm-hmm. I and I find it hard to get lost in things a lot of the time when uh, when I feel like I have to be considering something, I have to be I, when I feel like I'm being preach to about some sort of moral hmm. you know like unless that moral is chaos theory and that and that you should respect that life finds a way in which case i'm totally somehow. <laughs> <laughs> but like uh like these the like i don't like it when the movies talk is centered around the social implication of it yeah and i think it, it the fact that it's kind of almost beating you over the head with it. Like, oh, look, we made this movie with a female protagonist. We're doing good for women's yeah, equality. Yeah, it, was, it was a movie made with a female protagonist, with a female director, mm-hmm. and then everybody lauded it because it was made with a female 
protagonist mm-hmm. and a female director. Right. And what, those are good things. I want which are I want that representation in our, our media. Uh, I just, I didn't care I for it. I want to fast forward to the time where there's women directors and they direct. And then there's... And it's just a normal thing. Yeah. And there's, yeah, there's superheroes of all different creed and color. Yeah. And I just want to fast forward to that point so I can just watch these superhero movies and bash them for all sorts of other reasons. So moral of the story is representation is good. We're we're hoping to reach a place where it doesn't have to be so intentional. Right. And gimmicky. Right. Because I think that takes away from the art. I feel like yeah, I feel like it, that's that's that that's it. That's exactly cuz like I feel weird talking about it like this and I'm yeah. like I'm thinking about like editing it out of the podcast cuz it's like oh, I don't want people to think oh, we're just a couple white dudes like griping that their superhero movies are being yeah. talked about. That's and not the case at all. What I'm thinking is it's the it's the gimmick part of it. Yeah. It's 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 okay. You can tell that behind all of this good feeling fuzziness, it's just the same studio executives that people have a huge problem with just making money and just banking off of it. Exactly. You know? And objectively, the effects are sub Jurassic Park level. Yeah, and and, they, and these are supposed to be these huge multi-million dollar movies, and Jurassic Park was cheaper and holds up better. That's something to think about, guys. Why are we sacrificing CGI for for gimmicked social issues? I'm all, I'm all, I'm great with a movie addressing social issues. Mm-hmm. I don't like it being used as the promotional tool. That's my Scott Cast take. Well, then again. If it's if if it's the for this if that's the reason for the movie mm-hmm. it's for the social groundbreaking, then the promotional tool becomes the actual reason for the movie, and then the movie is more about the promotion than the actual movie itself, which bugs people who just want to talk about the movie. It's getting pretty meta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's that's the Scott Cast take on uh, social representations in movies. It should be done. It should be applauded. It should be held forth. But it feels weird when it's the main driving marketing mm-hmm. force. And it feels strange, like a, like a glove that doesn't quite fit over the hand. I probably should use a different reference than <laughs> fitting a <the> glove. <laughs> But eh, this is this this is a part of the Scott Cast where you're a true fan anyway. <laughs> if you've gotten this far listening to Scott Cast, then then you know you're you're a fantastic person and you're a fan of our thoughts and our conversing and our organic sort of conversations we have. And that's why we usually don't talk about politics. I'm bad at talking about politics because I focus so little on the outside world. If it's not if it has nothing to do with my uh, lunatic. Uh, uh, outlook in my uh, in my immediate surroundings. I generally ignore it. If it's not Scott Cast, it's no cast. So I love dinosaurs. Is what <laughs> <laughs> is what this podcast's main theme is about. This is the most clunky transition of the entire cast, which took an hour and twenty minutes to get to. So people love dinosaurs, and mm-hmm. I've understood this for a while. And even I've even got a dinosaur website called DinoPit.com. Uh, Tell me all about it. Well, this website has all sorts of updated profiles on dinosaurs, all sorts of information about dinosaurs that you can go and see and check out. 
find your new favorite dinosaur kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I have a dinosaur podcast that has one episode up so far. And if I wasn't so gung-ho about Scott Cass, I'd probably have more. But uh, it's also got dinosaur apparel, Mm -hmm. uh, hats, beanies, uh, T-shirts, mugs, all sorts of stuff I found on the internet. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've even bought some frickin' jewelry Hmm. shaped like dinosaurs from the internet with a wholesale account. I'm going to see if it sells. Because it's a decent website. It gets traffic. It gets mm-hmm. uh, a lot of Google traffic. People like dinosaurs. People like dinosaurs. They're searching for them. They're doing all that kind of thing. And here's here's why I bring it up, though. I'm not just trying to hawk merchandise. Mm-hmm. I, w- I want to bring up the best part in, of uh, Dino Pit, of Jurassic Park, of the Scott cast. It's, it's where we talk about how Scott and Dino Pit... And how there's links. I am in the Jurassic Park universe, Ian. For yeah. real. I actually am. <laughs> in a way. Tell me how. Okay. <laughs> so, on dinopit.com, there's a lot of information about dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of... One thing about dinosaurs that people like to see is, how big were they? Mm-hmm. How big is this creature? What? Give me a perspective. And an easy way to show that is to have a silhouette with a grid and a human next to it. Mm-hmm. Everyone's seen it before. That's how you know how big a dinosaur is on paper. Yeah. And so one of these silhouettes was used uh, nearly pixel for pixel, mm-hmm. both on the Jurassic World website and in the Jurassic World movie. It's If you want to find it in the movie, it's the Microceratops that is on the red T-shirt... <laughs> That is on the, in the scene where the T-Rex and the Indominus Rex are fighting uh, on right before the Mosasaurus, spoilers, eats the Indominus Rex. So Chris Pratt and the, and, and, uh, the redhead, uh, her, uh, she's the daughter of that one director, Ron Howard. Uh, Ron Howard's daughter yeah. and the children are all crowding in a merchandise booth mm-hmm. and on that merchandise is scott kraus property <laughs> copyright property which i will let go as far as lawsuits are concerned a because i i can't i would never be able to <laughs> successfully do that <laughs> uh, the scott kraus legal team is not as formidable as one would think with all the legal action and all the scott cast uh trademark talk that we have <laughs> and that, I'm, I'm gonna let go of the lawsuit just just to say you know what scott cross does exist in some way in the Jurassic park universe so you created the silhouette image i didn't actually <laughs> what are we talking about here i i purchased the website mm-hmm. in about 2014 okay 2014 2015 and the movie came out around 2015. So my estimation for the timeline is that I did not own the site when they took the Microceratops silhouette. I purchased the gotcha. site from somebody who wanted uh, you know, to get rid of it. And people, and in my line of business, digital marketing, uh, a thing that you can do is acquire websites, improve them, and sell them. Mm-hmm. And I've acquired the Dino Pit site 
approved it since, and I don't know, I just love it, so I keep it. Um, so I, so that's how I got the site, and I discovered that it was in Jurassic World, not because I have some sort of keen as eye, <laughs> but because uh, uh, in the Jurassic World Wikipedia, uh, where it's pretty exhaustive, mm-hmm. they listed Microceratops, and under Microceratops they have a link to the page on Microceratops in the Jurassic World website which explains that the microceratops image was from dinopit.com gotcha so i didn't find this out some some internet some helpful internet wikipedia editor did and they linked it and i somehow found the link scott kraus exists in the jurassic world universe nice if you guys any got any questions about jurassic world and what's what it's like to have living dinosaurs around i can feel them to finish out the dinosaur, the dino pit segment, with that said, the most exciting part of the Scott cast, <laughs> we're going to talk about and we're going to perform some ASMR using Jurassic Park fan fiction. Yeah, so for anyone who may not be familiar with ASMR, I'm going to read you the Wikipedia page because I don't know all that much about it either. But apparently it stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. Yes, it's a chilling effect. Yeah, so it's it's an experience characterized by a static-like or tingling sensation of the skin, typically beginning on the scalp, moving downward, uh, kind of along the, the path of the spine. And this is brought about by certain uh, sensory stimuli, usually auditory, so people speaking with a certain tone of voice. Sometimes there's a visual stimulation that can bring about this this sort of a sensation. But we are going to attempt to create some ASMR for you now using uh, Jurassic Park fan fiction. That's right. You will hear exactly what it's like. So if you are experienced with ASMR, you know, get comfy, get ready. And if not... Uh, be ready to have your mind expanded. We're going to, we're going to, this is, I don't know. You might want to turn this off. It might actually make you uncomfortable. <laughs> That's why we're ending this segment with, ending the podcast with this uh, little fun thing. But, okay. So this the story we're going to read is called Ancient Hearts Entwined. It's about uh, protagonist Laura Quinn. Uh, who's just a waitress trying to survive the 90s and the looming future ahead of her. She wants to finish uh, an anthropology studies major with a minor in mythology, which I thought was a very specific choice for the author to make. Yeah. <laughs> really, anthropology, and, and we're going to go with the minor too, myth- mythology. I think, if I had to hazard a guess, the writer, the author of this fine fan fiction, was an anthropology studies major with a minor in mythology. When an opportunity arises for her chance to travel to a tropical island, she takes it, and then and then there's there's apparently some sort of love interest between her and Ian Malcolm. Well, I'm excited to hear more. This is how it's gonna go. I'm gonna start, and we're gonna go. We're gonna popcorn between it. So, Ian, make sure you listen out for popcorn. Chapter one, opportunity. Time was of the essence. And so was getting these people in her station out of her hair because it was about four o'clock in the afternoon 
and she'd had enough fun for one lunch day. What the hell is a lunch day? I don't know. Does this waitress only work at a lunch restaurant? Is there such thing as lunch restaurants that are not open for breakfast and not open for dinner, but they're open for lunch? Probably. What time is lunch? 10 to 2. Middle of the day. Yet do people eat lunch at 3? That's a late lunch, yeah. It's for an early dinner. I don't know. Okay. I'm going to continue. It wasn't busy as she thought it would be. Just slow. She was so thankful when she heard music to her ears. Your God. She could have jumped for joy at that moment. Popcorn. A sigh left her lips as she slid her card into the computer so she could close out the check for her people to sign and leave. All Laura wanted to do was to go home, shower, order takeout, and watch really bad TV. She was almost home free when she printed out the check, placed it in the checkbook, and pivoted on her feet until she was face to face with the hostess. She had a frightened look on her face as Laura stared at the poor girl. She was rocking back on her feet like she had something to say. Laura winced. What's up? Laura asked her. She smiled. Uh, um, I'm really, really, really sorry, but there's this old man who came in who requested you. I know you're cut and all, but he was very, very persistent and even knew your table numbers. He knew things, Laura. It was just a mite creepy. I mean, I can always ask someone else, she said quickly. Laura tilted her head back and closed her eyes, wondering why her. All she wanted to do was go home. It was a long train ride back to the city. That night brought her to the very reason why she had this job. Money paid the bills, the food, and gave her a roof over her head instead of sitting in a box. Popcorn. What the fuck? <laughs> In <laughs> instead of sitting a box. Instead of, yeah, that's what it says, sitting a box. I, sometimes I worry that if my <laughs> job goes, if, I, if my clients go, then I might end up sitting in a box. Okay. Just like Kyle. Okay, she sighed, pinching the bridge of her nose between her eyes. I'll take it. Tell him I'll be there in two minutes. The hostess sighed with relief. Thank you, you're the bomb. Was this written in 93 as well? And they're trying to get that 93 styling in there. I'm pretty sure we're going to hear Calabunga next. You're the bomb. I'll go tell him. And with that said, she hopped around and flew back up to the front. Only a 19-year-old would say, you're the bomb. Okay, I guess in the 90s, only 19-year-olds said they're the bomb. Now only 40-year-olds would say something like that. Do they say that? I don't know. I've never been around a 40-year-old. They're always older or younger. Laura groaned. Why did she do it? Why did she take that table? She grunted at the thought and shook her head. She had to make some money, right? 
She pulled her black squinchy tighter. That is the greatest spelling of squ squinchy I've ever seen. S-C-H-U-I-N-C-H-I-E. What the? Is that supposed to be scrunchy? I think it's supposed to be scrunchy. I mean, this is the first time I've ever realized I have no idea how to spell scrunchy. I'll tell you that much. I don't think it's this, but okay. I don't think it's. I don't think this is the spelling, but I wouldn't be able to tell you what it is. She pulled her black squinchy tighter and pulled her wisps out of the way, so she looked a little bit more decent before she headed out back to her table with the couple and a little girl. There you are, she said with a smile, placing the checkbook on the table. Thank you very much, and have a nice day. They smiled at her, nodded with their mouths full, still finishing their dessert and coffee. Laura turned around and looked across her station, spotting the old man where Kim had placed him. He seemed decent enough. He had the whitest top of hair she'd ever seen before and he wore crescent silver glasses, a tropical shirt with palm trees, and a straw hat to complete the island look. Jimmy Buffett would commend the old chap. The man had an expensive-looking cane with him that rested against the booth next to him while he looked at the menu. The restaurant Laura worked at was family-owned, so it was a family restaurant that seemed to have everything on the menu. It was priced so people could afford to eat there. She took in a deep breath and pulled out another blank piece of paper from her black apron of which she hoped would be the very last for the day and pulled out her last pen too. Wow, she was really, she was really going toward the end of all her supplies. No wonder she was so excited to get out of work. She was about, she ran out of paper, she ran out of pens. What the hell is she going to do? How can she be a waitress without a paper and pens? I can never remember those kind of things. I could never be a waiter. I tried to be, if I tried to be a waiter, I can guarantee I would just fucking topple. Every, every, if I was a waiter, I would drop everything. If I was a waiter, I would forget things. I would be rude to guests. I would never get a tip. No one would flirt with me. I would be terrible as a waiter. So, I make fun of Laura, our protagonist, but in reality, I could never do what she does. People kept stealing her pens. <laughs> she grumbled. People kept stealing her pens. It happened frequently when customers think the pen is theirs. She cleared her throat and put on a smile, just like she had done so many times before. Have you ever been at a restaurant and then they give you the pen and then you're like well this is mine <laughs> that's never happened to okay me. just wondering <laughs> but i don't know i've never been a waiter either maybe maybe that's a problem that people have if you're a waiter or a waitress rough waiting or waitress experience and uh you have some insight into whether or not people steal pens because they feel like those pens are theirs <laughs> email hot for scott cast at h-o-t the number four and then scottcast at gmail.com and tell us your thoughts. Hi, thank you for stopping in at Finch's Shrimp and Cuisine. What can I get started for you? He looked up at her and smiled. I'll try the sea bass. 
I thought they said this was an affordable family restaurant. Right. Like, you get everything. But it's cheap sea bass. It sounds pretty fancy is all I'm saying. I know that. That's a reference to Jurassic Park, where John Hammond has sea bass. When, uh, oh, it makes sense. You should try the sea bass. Yeah. At his restaurant. But yep. that's a restaurant that employs only the finest cooks. He spared no expense. Right. He even bragged about the cook. So this family-owned restaurant should not have sea bass. Whoever wrote this. <laughs> Laura Quirk denied, bro. Uh, I'm sorry. We don't have that. Ah, there you go. But we do have salmon if you prefer, or, um, I could get a manager for you. She stammered nervously. Why was she so dang nervous? I think she was nervous because she's dealing with a freaking customer who insisted on having her as a waitress, which is creepy enough. And then as soon as she got there, he freaking says stuff that's not even on the menu. Like, what is this guy's deal? What does this guy want? I guess that's what this chapter is all about. <laughs> who is this guy? What does he want? She looked up at the dying restaurant. The dying restaurant? What? Just a dying restaurant. She looked up at the dying restaurant and watched her customers get up and leave, checking, leaving the checkbook behind. What? She looked back at the old man who seemed to have gotten a strange kick out of her nervousness. There's no need for that, dear. I'm well aware you don't have sea bass. He's my, oh my god. <laughs> I was testing you, Miss Laura Quinn. You're a very polite woman. I think I'll take the salmon and Caesar salad. Okay, she said slowly. Slightly confused. What would you like to drink? I think this is setting up. I know John Hammond wants the best of the best. And he's he, he likes to oversee things personally. I think this is setting up that John Hammond not only wanted the best scientists and the best game wardens and the best computer technicians. He also wanted the best waitresses. Somehow Laura Quinn got on his radar. <laughs> he must have been uh, reading some Yelp reviews or something. Yeah. <laughs> Who gets the most five-star review? Let's look it up. So. She took the menu. Wait, ice water and lemon. This is what she took the menu. She took the menu and tucked it underneath her arm before jotting everything down in her book. All right, she smiled, coming right up. She turned around on her heel until she realized he'd known her name. Kim did say he knew things about her, like her table sections. She spun around on her heel. Hang on, she said. She caught him in the middle of taking the sugars out of the sugar bowl. How did you know my name? He looked at her with the same smile as he had before. You did send out an application to Jurassic Park's finest dining resort. That's supposed to be a question. You, you did send out an application to Jurassic Park's fine dining resort? Question mark. Yes. The question hung in the air until she blinked a few times at the memory. She brushed a dark strand of hair out of her eyes. That was a month ago, Mr. Hammond. What gives? This girl, she's applying to work at this fancy-ass restaurant. The owner of the... She knows who the owner is, because she just said Mrs. Hammond, Mr. Hammond. She she put on an application. It was only 
so long ago, and he's coming personally to talk to her. And this is a multi-millionaire, and she knows his name, she knows it's the guy who runs Engine, and now she's saying what gifts to him? If I was Johnny Hammond, like, that would be like, the, okay, just, just, I'm gonna go, go to the C Pass drive-thru and we'll call it a day. End of job interview. John Hammond chuckled heartily. Why didn't you ring in my order, dear, and ring in something for yourself? We'll talk benefits over dinner. My treat. That's a little, a little strong, John Hammond. Laura eyed him curiously. She'd recognized him, finally, realizing where she'd seen him from when she passed a table to someone reading The New Yorker with his face on it. <laughs> so that was a little slow if that's if that's what you had available to you <laughs> the name john hammond plastered across the front page rumors spreading about his eccentric ways and that he was some sort of billionaire tycoon who opened up zoos around the world or something what is this is this the is this the is this sharona from monk <laughs> Her eyes went wide when the realization hit her that she was talking to the John Hammond, someone who she barely really knows besides the Atlantic cover apparently, but now she now it's the John Hammond. She peeked around the corner and saw him smiling, eyes twinkling as he looked around the restaurant and staff and how things were set up. He was definitely something, Laura thought curiously, and as long as he was paying for her dinner, she was willing to listen to what this man has to offer. Which is more than what Scott Cast does for people. We don't pay for anyone's dinner or food or anything. We offer podcasts for free. And we do it on a semi-regular basis. And that should be enough. So how did you like that story, Ian? Was it a good story? The chapter didn't entice you. Yeah, I was starting to... I was really looking forward to the uh, the Ian Malcolm love interest, but... I guess that's further along. That's that's in the next segment of ASMR Jurassic Park fan fiction. Okay. Well, we'll we're not going to read through the whole thing. It's like twenty eight chapters, but we'll do slight chapters with the juiciest tidbits. And let me just tell you right now, a little teaser. Uh, eventually, Laura Quinn and Ian Malcolm um, make a make a little Malcolm. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so thank you for tuning in to the Super Cough original telecommuted transmission, otherwise known as Scottcast. Uh, if you enjoyed this transmission, subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting app. If you have Android, just download Stitcher. If you have an iPhone, use the iTunes app and look up Scottcast. And if you have a SoundCloud account, follow us there. Or YouTube account, subscribe there. Crying out loud, you can... Just, just look up Scott Caston as long as it's not that stupid Scott Bradley guy. You'll be fine. So, with that said, uh, I will see you on the flip side. <laughs>